Welcome back, Hemming Brains, to the Hemingwayless podcast to talk about book one, chapter 16. There might be some difficulties finding my podcast at the moment, so just find it via the subreddit. I might have to change the domain because it looks like my domain name got poached somehow. I don't know how that happened because I had it registered, but um, needless to say, don't ever go with crazy domains if you're going to get a domain because they seem to just give your domain to other people while you're using it, which is fun and excellent. Whose prank was more epic, Natasha or Pierre? Nikolai is asked to comment on the manifesto and the upcoming war, but it seems Pierre is itching to answer. What do you think his answer would have been? Well, let me just answer these on your behalf because I've just read all these comments and then I was trying to find the chapter that I was going to read and I had someone trying to chat to me from the domain thing and I got distracted and it was a bad podcast so I just started again. But here's the thing. People asking like, what is the deal with Natasha's prank? Why is that a prank? I don't get the joke, says Haruki. Um, I think what it was is they had such strict social protocols back then, especially around like, you know, dinners and social gatherings, that to break those protocols was crazy. In Downton Abbey, there's an episode I remember where the guy comes to dinner and has the slightly wrong jacket. He doesn't have his dinner jacket. He's just got like a normal suit and it's a very posh suit. But um, um, but then because it's slightly wrong, they all laugh at him and it's like crazy that this guy's worn not a dinner jacket to dinner. And I think that's the thing with Natasha's prank is that, you know, what she did asking what's for dessert midway through the meal is bad manners and to have bad manners in that setting is just like beyond crazy. All right, I'm just going to go straight to the next chapter. Because, um, just because, just because, it's going to be excellent. It's chapter 20 and it goes like this. The Count got his card tables out to play Boston with the boys. His visitors lingered between the two drawing rooms, the sitting room and the library. He could hardly keep his eyes open, hiding them behind his hand of, hand of fanned playing cards. He was also pissed, laughing at everything that was said. The Countess got all the young'uns together at the clavichord and harp to sing songs, and Julie was egged on to go first. All right, one minute, one minute, I have to respond. And we're back. That was fun. Um, she played the harp for a bit, then joined everyone else in begging Natasha and Nicholas to do their duet act. Natasha liked this because it made her feel like a grown-up. What should we sing, she asked, becoming shy. The brook? suggested Nicholas. All right, good one. Boris, come here, said Natasha. But where's Sonia? She looked round the room for her and seeing that she wasn't there, ran off to find her. She checked Sonia's room, but she wasn't there. So she ran to the nursery, but she wasn't there either. Natasha figured that she must be on the chest in the passage, the traditional place for the women of the Rostov household to chuck a wobbly. And there Sonia was lying face down on nurse's dirty feather bed on the top chest, 
crumpling up her gauzy pink dress under her, hiding her face behind her slender fingers and sobbing so convulsively that her bare little shoulders shook. Natasha's face, which had been smiling so brilliantly all that saint's day, suddenly changed. Her eyes became focused. She shivered down her neck and her smile drooped. Sonia, what's up? What's wrong? Oh, oh, oh. And Natasha's large mouth widened, making her look a little bit feral, and she began to chuckle wobbly of her own, without knowing why, other than because Sonia was. Sonia was too emo to even lift her head up at that stage. She couldn't even manage an answer. Instead, she just hid her face deeper in the bed. Natasha cried too, sitting on the blue-striped feather bed and hugging her friend. Sonia summoned her true strength and managed to sit up, wipe her eyes, and explain the sitch to Natasha. Sitch to Natasha. Nicholas is going in one week. His papers have come. He he told me himself, but I shouldn't cry. And she showed a paper she had in her fist with the verses Nicholas had written. Still, I shouldn't cry, but you don't, you don't get it. No one gets it. No one knows what a soul he has. And she started crying again because Nicholas was such a good person. It's fine for you. Everything is great. Not that I'm jealous. I love you and Boris too. She went on, getting a little less sooky now. He's a good bloke. There's no problems for you guys. But Nicholas is my cousin. I'd have to... The Metropolitan himself. And even then, it's not possible. And besides, if she tells Mama, Sonia thought of the Countess as her mother, that I'm messing up Nicholas's career because I'm selfish and ungrateful. And... But the truth is, I swear, the truth is... She made the sign of the cross... I love her and all of you, only Vera is such a dickhead. And why? What the hell did I do to her? I'd do anything for you lot. I'd give anything, if I had anything to give. Sonia hid her face in her hands, on the feather bed, unable to go on because she was getting too emotional. Natasha started consoling her, and you could tell by her face that she understood how serious this was to, to Sonia. Sonia, she suddenly exclaimed, as if the real reason for her friend's drama-rama had just clicked, did Sonia say something to you since dinner? She did, didn't she? I think that's meant to say Vera. I'm going to change that. Did Vera say something to you since dinner? She did, didn't she? Sonia nodded, her face squished into the bed, then turned slightly that her words might escape unmuffled. You know the verses that Nicholas wrote, and I copied some other ones. She found them on my table and said she'd show Mama and that I was ungrateful, and that Mama would never let us get married because she wants him to marry Julie. You've seen the way they are together, him and Julie. You saw them all day, Natasha. How is this fair? It's such bullshit. And again she chucked a wobbly, bursting into tears. Natasha lifted her up, hugged her, and smiling through her tears, started to comfort her. Sonia, she's full of it. Don't believe her. Don't you remember what the three of us, you, me, and Nicholas, talked about after dinner? We settled it, how everything was going to be. I don't really remember what the plan was exactly, but we had one. A plan for us all to be together. Remember, Uncle Shinjin's brother married his first cousin, and we're only second cousins, so it's not that bad. And Boris says it's possible. I've told him all about your problems, by the way. He's so clever and amazing. Like, oh, don't cry. Please, Sonia, said Natasha, and she kissed her and laughed. Vera's a total bitch. Just ignore her. Trust me, everything will work out, and she won't say shit to Mama. Nicholas will tell her himself, and he doesn't really care about Julie. Natasha kissed her on the hair, 
Sonia sat up, the little kitten's eyes shone, and it seemed ready to lift its tail, jump down on its soft paws, and start mucking about with a ball of yarn as a kitty cat should. Do you really think that, or are you just saying it? She said, quickly smoothing her frock and hair. No, 100%, answered Natasha, stroking a stray lock of hair back into Sonia's plaits. Okay, fuck it, let's go sing the brook. Yeah, let's do it. Well, you know that Pierre guy, the fat one, who was opposite me? He's funny as, I reckon, said Natasha, stopping suddenly. I feel good, I'm happy now. And she skipped off all nimbly-bimbly down the passage. Sonia brushed some down off her and tucked the verses into the boob area of her dress, close to her bony little chest, and skipped after Natasha, down the passage and into the sitting room her face all rosy and happy. The visitors had requested the young'uns sing a quartet, The Brook, which went over nicely. Then it was Nicholas's turn to sing a song he had just learned. At night-time, in the moon's fair glow, how sweet as fancies wander free. To feel that in this world there's one who still is thinking but of thee. That while her fingers touch the harp, wafting sweet music over the lee, it is for thee, thus swells her heart, sighing its message out to thee. A day or two, then bliss unspoiled, but oh, till then I cannot live. He hadn't finished the last verse before the young people started getting ready to dance in the large hall, and the sound of the feet and the coughing of musicians was heard from the gallery. Pierre was chillaxing in the drawing room with Shinshin, who was asking him all about politics, because Pierre was recently back from abroad, which made him an expert. A bunch of others joined in, but the conversation was boring to Pierre. When the music started, Natasha came in and went straight up to Pierre, and blushing and laughing, she said, Mama told me to ask you to come dance. Oh man, I'll bugger it up though. All right, but you've got to be my teacher, okay? And he lowered his massive arm, offering it to the slender little girl. While the dancers were getting ready in pairs and the musicians were tuning up, Pierre sat down with his little partner. Natasha was wrapped with this. She was dancing with a grown-up man, one that had been abroad. La-di-da. She was sitting with him out in the open for all to see and talking to him like a grown-up lady. She had a fan in her hand. One of the ladies had asked her to hold it. And God knows where she picked up such grown-up behavior, but she really looked the part, talking with her partner, fanning herself, smiling over her fan. Bloody hell, get a look at her, will ya? exclaimed the countess as she crossed the ballroom, pointing to Natasha. Natasha blushed and laughed. Why, what's the big deal, Mama? What are you so shocked about? In the midst of the third Ecossais, there was a clatter, the sound of chairs being pushed out from the sitting room where the Count and Maya Dmitrievna had been playing cards with the majority of the more distinguished and older guests. They now made their way into the ballroom, stretching themselves after sitting us so long and replacing their purses and pocketbooks. First came Maya Dmitrievna and the Count, both looking pretty chipper. The Count, being a big goofball, did some mock ballet in offering his arm to Maya. He drew himself up, puffing his chest out, assuming a gallant and sexy look about him. Once the last figure of the Ecossais was finished, he applauded the musicians and shouted up to the gallery, addressing the unfortunately named first violinist, Seaman. Do you know Daniel Cooper? This was the Count's favourite dance. It had been since he was a kid. Strictly speaking, Daniel Cooper was one figure of the Aglaise. Check Papa out, shouted Natasha to the whole room, and for a sec she forgot she was acting the grown-up with a grown-up dance partner, and she bent double and made the whole room crack up laughing. 
And yep, sure enough, the whole room smiled to see the jolly old gentleman who, standing beside his tall and stout partner, Maya Dmitrievna, curved his arms, beat time, straightened his shoulders, turned out his toes, tapped gently with his foot, and his big goofball smile, he invited the onlookers to witness his magnificence. The song started Daniel Cooper, and Christ, did it make you want to bust a move. It was like a peasant... It was like peasant party music, all happy and jaunty, and it drew in the domestic serfs. They all suddenly crowded in, the men on one side, the women on the other, all looked stoked to see their master do his dorky dance. Get a load of master, classic, absolute classic, said the nurse loudly, standing in one of the doorways. The count could really move, and he knew it, but his partner, well, not so much. See, she stood there like a fridge, her massive guns hanging down beside her. She had handed her reticule to the countess. The only bit of her that was moving with the music was her too serious but handsome face. What the Count expressed with his whole tubby body, Maya Dmitrievna expressed with just her more and more beaming face, her eyes broad, her nose quivering. But if the Count, getting more and more into it, wowed his spectators by his unexpectedly agile moves and his light-footedness, Maya was equally as captivating with just her little adjustments and movements, a tiny shoulder hoist here, a bend in the elbow there, a little foot stamp now and then, all of which was fascinating to see because she was such a massive unit. The dance grew more and more lively. The other couples were invisible. Try as they might, they could not wrench the attention away from the fascinating pair that was the Count and Maya Dmitrievna. Natasha was zipping about, grabbing people by the sleeve and saying, Look at Papa! though as it was they were already looking at him. In the intervals of the dance, the Count, breathing like a pig, waved and shouted to the musos to play faster, 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 faster and faster. Lightly, more lightly, and yet more lightly, came the, the Count whirled around, flying around his partner, now on his toes, now on his heels, until turning his partner around to her seat, he executed the final pass, raising his soft foot backwards, bowing his perspiring head, smiling and making a wide sweep with his arm. Natasha, laughing her head off, led a resounding thunder of applause. Both of them stood still, breathing piggily and mopping their faces with their cambric hankies. Oh yeah, that's how it's done, ma chère, said the Count. Now that was a Daniel Cooper, exclaimed Maya Dmitrievna, tucking up her sleeves and puffing heavily. All right, there you go. There's a chapter for you. The Count, busting a move. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.